Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. In this episode, Tom Mason, a Malibu Comics co-founder, tells us why he loves comics. That's not really a title, but that's what you're getting. It originally aired March 20, 2022. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Silver Sunday, March the 20th. So I hope you are well. We are in for a... uh, Wing ding of a show tonight as we have a special guest and we are going to pelt him with all kinds of questions. But first, shout out to our sponsor, Daytona Beach Comic Con. If you like comic books and comic shows, you need to make your plans to go to Daytona Beach Comic Con. In September, it is, what are the dates? Somebody help me out here. September. September. Uh, yeah, it's in that. September. Look for them. September. I think it's on, the, it's on the thing. So look for them uh, on the on the interwebs, and you'll see the dates. Make your plans. It's going to be a fun show. Shout out to Orlando Collector Deviants. Shout out to Kablam, who Kablam. prints all of our comics. And if you're in the Orlando, Florida area, and you want to find some Silverline comics, you need to stop by Coliseum of Comics on East Colonial Drive. September 10 and 11. Thank That's you. Smart. September Probably 10 good. and 11. There is, uh, that are the dates for Daytona Beach Comic Con. Make your plans to attend. We will be there, and we expect to see you there. Mr. Pete's going to be there. Pete yes. will be there. That's right. He's all gonna, the way from, uh, from gonna, uh, across the pond, right? He's going to get on a steamer and paddle his way across. Are you really? Wow! You better you better start now. <laughs> He's going to bike all the way over. All right. So tonight we've got Curtis. Curtis, say hi. Hi, Tommy. Say hello. Hey, Thomas Flormonti. Pete, say hello. Hey. Roberta, tell people who you are. Hi, I'm Roberta Conroy. I've worked with four of the five other people on this phone call. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we're all still on talking to me, call. which I find even more amazing. <laughs> so, I got to uh, go, Tom. I'm so, sorry. I'm done with it. So as we give Tom his introduction here, so I got to tell you, I got to open with my Tom story here. And Tom, if, oh, I leave, no. if I leave stuff out, you you, you toss it in, right? So, right? so a lot of folks know Tom because he is the co-founder of uh, Malu Comics. He's also the creator writer for Dinosaurs for Hire. Tom is one of the very first people I ever worked for and with. In fact, Tom may not remember this, but when oh. when we first so so Cat and Mouse was published once in color by an imprint that went under it went belly up. So we took our photocopies and I'm sorry, we took the printed copy of number one. Tommy, you probably remember this. The printed copy of number one, and we took photocopies of the next like three, four issues of cat and mouse, as well as a couple of other books we were trying to do. And we sent them all around. Right. We began to hear from a couple of publishers, but we hadn't heard from Malibu and Malibu's who we really wanted to hear from. They were at the top of our list. So I did what you're not supposed to do. I picked up the phone and I called them. Right? <laughs> Tom gets on the phone. 
Oh, did he and, really? And, and and these were the uh, these. This is almost the first words out of his mouth, right? Who are you? No, no, no. hung up. Oh, we've been trying to get a hold of you. You hillbilly, don't you know you're supposed to put telephone number on your letters? Oh. <laughs> did you not do that? I didn't. Wow. I didn't what? what? All I yeah. had was an address on there, right? And that's how we had heard back from a couple of other places. Is they sent us? Uh, they sent us. They wrote you back saying no. So that's no, no, uh, no. We. That's another story. Uh, oh, okay, okay. It, it, no, but that was that was that was my introduction to Tom right off the bat. You hillbilly, don't you know you're supposed to put telephone numbers on, on your letters? Why <laughs> <laughs> don't I? I like to put oh, my just wow. chase. Because <laughs> in the in those days. We didn't have a large staff. I think there was just there's Scott, there's Dave, there's myself, there's Chris. There might have been Mickey and Dan. Uh-huh. Yep. There might have been an accountant. And there might have been a receptionist who was Scott's assistant. And that was it. So the chances are you could call the office and still get one of us on the phone just because everybody was busy. So whoever's turn it was to answer the phone would would pick it up. And and I don't I don't have time for small talk. I got comics to put out. So I don't think, That's right. I don't, I don't have time for Oh, hi, Roland. What a lovely thing to do to talk to you. It feels so great. It's like, no, 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 no. I learned I learned, I learned how to talk to people from my friend uh, my friend Mike and from uh, Howard Chaikin from Harlan Ellison, which is like, you just get right to it. What the oh, hell yeah. do you want? Why are you calling? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to hear about your family or your lunch or your favorite movie. <laughs> I yeah. publish comics. You want to make some comics? Yes. Let's go. What <clears throat> to this to this day, that's the way uh, Howard. I, I still can't get past it. I saw him at that same convention. <laughs> Howard greets me. F you, Roland. That's the <laughs> that is the way he says hello to me. That's right. I, I just I, I as I we walk up, he sees me. He smiles. Right, it's a big smile, and he's friendly, and he extends his hand to shake to shake my hand. But it's F you, Roland. I'm like wait, I what? Used- when when Harlan Ellison would call me at the office, and I would pick up the phone, and, you know, hello. I don't know if I could. Can, I can't really curse on the, on the broadcast air <laughs> well, here. We're like a PG thirteen. Okay, and I would I would pick up the phone and I would and I would say hello, and he would go, "What the f are you doing, Mason?" <laughs> that's, that's his greeting. You know, award winning science fiction author Harlan Ellison. That's the way he greets me. But that's also. That's also the way he marks his territory. Like he wants to know, are you going to give it back to him in that same uh-huh. way, or yeah. are you going to cower? And if you cower and go, "Oh, I'm sorry, Harlan, I didn't mean to answer the phone that way," then you know, you're you're done. Then you're toast. Yeah. So if you if you if you give it right back to him, then it's like, oh, okay, we're we're not we're not cool. equals, obviously, but you know, we'll, yeah. we'll then we'll then start talking about old 1940s public domain comic books. <laughs> right yeah so so i worked with tom for the first couple of years uh, almost exclusively i knew who the other people were probably because i talked to them here and there but i never worked with chris really until until rocket ranger <clears throat> and then and then chris was the editor of that but that i i dealt with you for through all the other stuff yes you until, were my kill yep yep until i moved out there and became staff editor, and then I answered to Alm. Yes, and that was just the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest transition because you were the guy that I'm like, okay, 
here, I got Here's Tom. I go to Tom, 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 Tom. Okay, Chris is your boss. What? Right. <laughs> my job, my job was to just soften you up, and 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 get you to feel good about moving to California. And then it's, it's a bait and switch, and then once you get to California, <laughs> you're, you're Chris's problem. But I was never. At the same time, because I was Chris and I shared editorial duties at the same hmm. at that time. Like I had half yeah. the books and he had half the books, and then we were switching. Once the Ultraverse got going, he became the the full time editor in chief, and then I became like the everything person. Right. And so <laughs> everything I was no longer, else. I wasn't. I wasn't even editing a book at no. that point. I didn't have any. I didn't work with any creative people. I didn't do anything. Mostly, I would just sit in my corner and complain. <laughs> well, that's not the way we used to do it that was, that was well, my job yeah tell tell the rest of us we're doing it wrong that's right <laughs> no, no, that's right don't you guys proofread this stuff before it goes down? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> or 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 have these emails with these long bullet lists right <laughs> right yeah, that's right i was yeah i'm glad those never got saved i still have some of them because i thought they were works of art things of beauty i i, I have a i have a few i have a a, a, a folder that has a, a smattering of things that i'm like man i was reamed with this one or, <laughs> or 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 good things right dan danko put together a list one time of uh of the editors and their their um, see if I can remember that it was the on time shipping returnability. He put together a list of of all the editors at the at the time, and I won't be calling out any names, but I kept that because it made me look really good. Right. <laughs> well, that was a, you were you were the only person that we had hired at that point outside the company who actually had experience putting out a comic from start to finish. Yeah. Like you knew the same thing you do with Silverline. You know how to, you know, not just the writing. Some people only know how to write a comic book. Right. But there's some people who know how to write a comic book and then know all the pieces of it. Even when it goes to the printer and comes out at the other end, like there's no, and I think you're at that point, you were one of the few people that we knew who knew that process or at least, and understood it because you can know the process, but you have to understand it and you right. have to understand, you know, the 30 day window that each step takes. Right. Yeah. Like the, the pencil, if the pencil is going to be late, then your anchor is going to be late. Then your letter right. is going to be late. Then your colorist is going to be late. And the only way you make up that time is just yelling at people. And that's not going to be. <laughs> <you know? laughs> your, your, your pencil is late. So I'm going to have to yell at four people. That's not going to endear you to anybody. So. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Or they, or, and or they'll they'll call you like Walter did, or, and and say, yeah, "I'm going to fire you." Right. Right. You're fired. <laughs> so you're fired. Uh, so uh, so Tom, I know I know yeah. that you've done a handful of other things uh, since then, right? Because because uh, uh, I I am reminded frequently that Malibu is getting further and further in my rearview mirror. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the so, it's the the 30th anniversary of its death is fast approaching. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, so so you've done a lot of things since then. Give us some of the highlights, some of the things that you're proud of. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 after I quit Malibu, I, uh, I, I worked in television. I still work in television for a long right. time. I write and develop TV shows. 
Uh, you did some Malcolm in the Middle. I did. I did. I for dumb from dumb luck. I got I got involved in Malcolm in the Middle for a couple of episodes because I'd written the Malcolm in the Middle books for Scholastic, and then uh, the Malcolm people called me in and wanted to meet with me and Dan Danko because he was writing the books with me. Right. And that's how we got to work on the show. Um, and then we we worked on a bunch of shows that nobody ever heard of, um, uh, like Supernormal and Pet Alien and uh, Rob Durdick's Wild Grinders and uh, Captain Flynn and the Pirate Dinosaurs. And we created a show for the BBC called Leonardo. Um, oh, yeah. And Pete, then we, Pete, have you seen that one? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. That, that, there's the guy who saw it. That's right. It's a, the one. And then, I think it's the one I'm thinking of. I don't know. Was, uh, it was set in in uh, Renaissance uh, Florence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. I enjoyed that. And he was involved in conspiracies, and he That's used right. his, he used early examples of his inventions as prototypes yeah. to solve crimes. He was like a Renaissance yeah, yeah. Batman. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. What so, was that? What? 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 Yeah, everyone liked that, didn't they? Do what? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, there. I love you. Then we worked on a, uh, a preschool show for Nickelodeon called uh, The Fresh Beat Band. And then we worked on uh, an Italian TV show called Bat Pat. Um, we've done, I, I think Dan has the count, but we've done something like 600 different episodes of children's television over the years. Great. Wow. Either as, either as writers, story editors, head writers, you know, stuff like that. I worked on a show called True in the Rainbow Kingdom, which is on Netflix. Um, I was the, I wrote a bunch of them, but I was also the the comedy consultant. So every script had to pass through my computer so that I could laugh it up. Nice. Then uh, <laughs> I, I still dabble in comics every now and then somebody calls me up and says, how do I do this? Yeah. I'm sure you get those calls too, where yeah. there, there are a lot of people in advertising or publishing who look at comics as some kind of magic thing mm-hmm. and don't know how it's done. And so if you, I know a guy who makes comics, I'll call him. How do right. you make comics? And then, you know, 90% of the time when you explain how it's done and what the process is and what it costs, they run away. Right. Yeah. And then, Never mind. And then every now, why should it take six months? To be, well, <laughs> right. Yeah. Why can't you do this by next week? Right. Where do we begin? And so, um, <laughs> so we do that. Um, and then uh, I work for this um, advertising agency in Kentucky uh, doing comics. I did a, uh, I just finished editing a graphic novel uh, based on a guy's memoir about uh, Rwanda. Wow, cool. Um, and I did, I do a comic strip called Draw to Discover, which is a science-based uh, five-panel comic that comes out every three weeks. I think I just wrote the fifth one. Uh, cool. Then I have a show, I have a show in development uh, that was, it was absolutely positively 100% definitely going to happen right before COVID. And then all of a sudden it wasn't 100% definitely going to happen. And then it was, and then it wasn't, and then... <laughs> You know, it, yeah. It, it, currently, it is, uh, and I get I get called every two months to sort of fix it back up as new financing, you oh. know, comes in or falls through. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. It's a merry-go-round. Yeah, it is. 
Uh, got a couple of comments here uh, already here. James Davis says, greetings, everyone. What's up, James Davis? Uh, Bobby Weskovich says, hello, big dummy. Y'all on Facebook at home. Uh, hello, screw loose. Bobby Weskovich is my father-in-law there, Tom. Um, <laughs> so, he talks uh, to you like I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Uh, uh, Fruit Bat says, uh, hello. What's up? Go- what's going on, Fruit Bat? Uh, James Davis says, I have a few of the Pet Alien cartoon DVDs. Oddly enough, I do too. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have any of those. Uh, James says, I think one of uh, of them is Spaced Out. Yep. Yep. I think there's there's two or three uh, DVD collections. Wow. I did not get them, and I don't get paid for them, so. (laughs) (laughs) You You don't. No, animation writers don't get royalties or residuals or anything like that. I did not know that. Yeah. That that's brand new news to me. Really? So you just get paid the 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 fee to, to, to script it? Yeah, the flat rate. Now there are ways there are ways that you can cheat that. Like if I wrote a song in yeah. in the episode, I'm a member of BMI, the songwriting residual collecting place, and then I get money from that. And then there's a weird kind of. Uh, uh, collection agency that collects royalties from overseas broadcasts so every every six months or so i get a check for about 14 cents um, for something that i can't explain why but i i, I dutifully cash it uh, of course then, uh, but yeah, yeah like what get, i get from comiXology that's right <laughs> you mean amazon oh yeah it's amazon now. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah you don't get you don't get royalties or residuals from uh cartoons yeah. i did not know that that's that's interesting um <clears throat> i think i've still got a couple of um uh you know dan shared some of your early scripts with because i was teaching animation at one point in time uh they've taken they've, they've since removed that uh part of the program and i had some animation stuff from uh from you and dan that was part of my class uh-huh so yeah well, with your permission of course but that was a long time ago yeah did you, did you give me money uh, no, I okay. did not. I'll have my accountant send over an that's, invoice. That's the way it's supposed to work in in uh, writing, right? I, yeah, that's I right. just use it and don't give you money. That's well, it's as if you found it on the internet. <laughs> right, everything's free on the internet. <laughs> uh, all right, so Tom, we've got uh, we've got we're gonna we're gonna pelt you with questions. Um, I have one for you first, though. Okay, you have a book that's spelled B E A H. Yes. How do I say that? Okay, Tom. I'm I'm going to ask you to to remember your most uh, uh, your most um, memorable role in conversation, and just imagine me saying, "Yeah, we were out camping and we saw this bear. It was just big bear, and we ran because it was a bear." Well, that's what I figured, but I also thought it might be like Aunt B from. Oh, from Andy Griffith, some variation no, of that. So no, it's, no. it's bear. It's like the, the yes, southern, yes. the traditional southern method of saying bear. Bear. That's okay. it. Yep. Yep. Okay. It's bear. Go. Now you can start with quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hyper Potato says I'm late. Well, welcome, Hyper Potato. Uh, we're just now getting into questions, so if you've got uh, if you've got them, pop them up there. We'll ask Tom. So uh, the the first thing. We're gonna get this started with Tom. Is why do you love comics? Jeez. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I think 
do, but do I love comics though? Well, that okay. So that well, that think, could be the question. I I think I love comics because when I when I was a kid, there weren't a lot of things for me to read that I was interested in. So mm-hmm. when I was in high school, for example, it was all Shakespeare, and it was all you know leather stocking tales or yeah. you know James Fenimore Cooper or whatever, which are all fine, but that's really. It, it doesn't speak to me. Right. It's like I, the stuff I watched on TV was, you know, lost in space or the Avengers or yeah. Hand of the giants or wild, wild west or whatever. Johnny quest, Johnny quest, uh, you know, even the Flintstones or the Herculoids or whatever, all that stuff was endlessly fascinating to me. I love that stuff. And the only thing that I found that connected with that was comics. And you could read, you know, you can read a comic in 10 minutes. So you could read, you could plow through like 30 comics and think I'm cooking. I didn't, like, I am, I am, I am reading at a, at a, at a furious pace. You read, you read your one little book, you read your leather stocking tales or your whatever. <laughs> I've read 30. And so, but I, I liked it also because it was, I love the, the mix of art and, story i like the way everything worked together i had no understanding at the time of how it was made i didn't realize it's made by old white people in new york city (laughs) and you know you know they're 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 trying so hard to be like hip happening dudes with their with their comics and uh and their old man slang or whatever but i just loved i loved them and when i was when i was sick um, and I would stay home from school, which is like you know the golden hour. Yeah. Then my my mom would go to the drugstore and pick up my prescription for whatever I needed, and she'd come back with like a dozen comics. And you grew up in like uh, uh sort of uh, middle western Virginia, right? Well, the I grew up in the if you look at Virginia like a triangle, uh-huh. I grew up in the corner of Virginia that's just under West Virginia. Right. Yeah. And so it was very, in those days, it was small, it was rural, it was, you know, comics were just, were hard to find except at a drugstore. Yeah, yeah. And they were easy to find there, right? Yeah, you, uh, I mean, you, couldn't, you couldn't find everything, but you found, you found enough. So Hyper Potato says, do you remember your earliest comic projects prior to Malibu? And then how did you get involved with Malibu? I, I know the second part of that, uh, or uh, I've heard the second part of that, but what, what were your earliest uh, comic projects, Tom? I was, I was working. I, cause I guess the hardest thing is that a lot of people don't understand is I had no desire to work in comics. Like I didn't have, I didn't have that. Do? I didn't have that dream where I was sitting at home going, I got to make some comics. I got to, <laughs> I got to write some comics. I got to draw some comics. I got to, you know, I didn't have that burning desire. So I'm, I'm the stupid one who just sort of that people look at and go, no, it doesn't happen like that. Nobody does that. And then I just sort of fell into it. Um, I was working. Uh, I was living in Connecticut. I was working as a cartoonist and I had work that was published in uh, playboy and the wall street journal and TV guide and all this stuff. And because I was freelancing, I needed a lot more money. So I ended up getting a job at, at, 
<laughs> See, imagine that. Uh -huh. Freelance living, you know, it's great when your expenses are small, but when you when you want to have like a life, like you want to you want to date, you want to go out to dinner, you want to have a car, you want to buy food, yeah, want to buy food, you know, you kind of you kind of need a, a job, and so um, <laughs> so I got a job at Fanographics um, because I'd worked on my college newspaper and I had I had paste up in art direction skills, and so they hired me to be like a paste up guy. Really? And, yeah. And that's in the in the pre computer era. That's where you would actually take the text and paste it down on the page, um, you know, like like an Amish person would do. Right. And, um, <laughs> so um, you were still so doing that, that when I arrived in the in the, uh, out yeah. to California, actually. Yes. Yep. And you know, in the early computer days, the uh, the graphics design programs are so terrible that we used to print terrible. it out. We would just print it out and paste it up the old fashioned right. way because it's, it was the only way to maintain any kind of control. Right. Um, so, um, so I worked for Fanographics as, a, uh, as just a, as an art person. Uh, like a paginator kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so I, yeah. I always joked that I was the guy that put the page numbers on, on issues of the comics journal on amazing heroes. That was, <laughs> you know, that's the extent of it. But I sort of thought, Oh, I'll, I'd love to make like a funny thing. So I, I created a magazine called Honk for three issues, which did which was a mix of interviews and comics that Fanographics published. And then I did um, – when Fanographics moved to California, they brought me along, which was great because now I was finally in California. And then I left Fanographics, and uh, Jan Sternod wanted mm -hmm. to do a similar funny thing uh, for his publishing company. So I created a different funny magazine called Splat, which was all – goofy cartoons and stuff. Um, and I liked, I found that I liked putting together stuff in a comic book package, but I really didn't think anything about it really mm. as like, a, as like a job or a career or whatever. And then it was uh, Obrich. It was Dave Obrich. Yeah. He'd, I knew him at Fanographics. He left Fanographics. He'd gotten a job at Sunrise, uh, the comic book distributor that right. was in, uh, near Long Beach, California. And, uh, Dave had convinced Scott to finance a comic book company, which would be called Malibu Comics. And then Dave called me up, and it's, it was really, it was really this easy. He said, "Look, I don't want to do this by myself. You know how to make comic books. Can you, can you come and sit in the office with me?" <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "I said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, you know, let's, let's start making comics." And that's that was the plan. That was no, there's no. You know, now it's all venture capitalists and yeah. and and funding channels and you know P and L statements and all that. No, we're just two idiots who had a backer and just said, "Let's do this for a while. Let's make some comments and see what happens." <laughs> so that's that's how, wow. I, how I got how I got involved in Malibu is that that Dave sort of created Malibu and ran it for like three days, and then he called me up and said, "I should really have some company." <laughs> So, so then we wow. can, and then and then Chris Chris uh, yeah, Alm, how did Alm get involved? So uh Dave knew Chris from Sunrise because Chris worked in the in the Sunrise warehouse. He was the guy who did so Dave handled the comics part and Chris handled the board games part because Chris was okay. a big yeah. And so um Chris heard through the office gossip that 
Scott was starting this company that Dave was going to run. And then Chris said, if you guys are starting a comic book company, why don't, don't leave me here. He was actually much more aggressive about it than, than I made it sound. But he, he basically just said, you know, I don't want to sit in a warehouse all day. So, yeah. you know, I want to do this. And so he came aboard, but he couldn't, he couldn't come up to the office because he was still running the games division at sunrise. So he had to wait, he had to wait till sunrise went out of business before he could come up and officially sit in the building. Oh, that's funny. So that's That's a good story. Sitting in a cold drafty warehouse in a California winter, trying to make comic books. Now I remember the 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 address. Um, no, I, I I I remember pieces of the address from the the Newberry Park address. Which one? There were two. There were no. two. It's two six three five Lavery Court or thirteen fifty five Lawrence Drive. Lawrence Drive is the one I remember. Okay, that's that, when you that, came on. Right. Yeah, that's what. But now I wasn't there. That I, I was never in that office. I just remember that address. Right from the packages. I, I, I the office that uh, you were in when I came out there was the Westlake Village. Right, the one yeah. next to the gym. Yes, where, where Marion where Marion McCormick used to work out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I potato said I loved Honk, especially the Calvin and Hobbes issue. Yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks. <laughs> there. You, yep. There you go. So you, you got someone who remembers that. Uh, yeah, I don't remember Hulk. And, and, now I do remember a lot of your, um, a lot of your drawings, a lot of your sketches, uh, and, and a lot of the, our meetings. When you weren't running the meeting, you were always drawing. Right. Yes. Because if I'm not in charge, I'm bored. So I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that was that was pretty that was pretty easy to see. Uh, so so you worked in in uh, a handful of different things, and 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 of course you know. This is we, you know we're all about comics here. So you've done you've done prose, you've done uh, animation. Um, what would you say? I always argue, of course, you probably wouldn't surprise you that uh, that that comics are the superior entertainment format. No, you. <laughs> this is your point of view. You <laughs> it, 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 believe, it, believe or it or not. So, Shut so up. what would you, what would you say, having done, having, having dabbled in all of them, uh, what would you say some of the strengths of comics are that the other mediums don't have, or, or even maybe some of the weaknesses, some of the strengths and weaknesses. So let's 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 go there. What era? Because I think comics, because the comics that you're doing now mm-hmm. are more, and again, try not. To, I'm trying to be. Respectful and not mean, so don't take it this way. No, no. Um, I, I, your your comics are more like craft beer. Right. And whereas Marvel and DC comics are more like Anheuser-Busch Budweiser. Okay. And so right, they're two right. There are two different ways to do it. Like, I don't, I don't particularly understand the way Marvel and DC make their comics today. I mean, I don't, I don't think very many people do. I'm not, I don't I'm think not, they do. I'm not against <laughs> it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I the way they do it seems to work for them, and that's great. That's fine. I don't. I just don't get it. Right. And um, so I like what I like about comics is the way that because I can't draw, 
Mm. But I have a weird visual sense in that I'm not I'm not wordy. So I'm not like a Chris Claremont writer or like a uh, Don McGregor type of writer. Um, and what I like is when I would turn my script in and it would go off to an artist and the, and the penciler would it would come back from the penciler and they would have seen things that I didn't realize were there. Yeah. Or they were inspired to do something. I love it when, like when I was working with Mitch Bird, yeah. he would, he would, I would describe the action and when I would get it back, it wouldn't resemble the action that I had described, but I would look at it and I would go, yeah, okay, this is way better. <laughs> and I wish, I wish to God I had thought of it this way because yeah. he fixed it and he made me look better. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, I can, now I know what to do. I can change what I wrote to accommodate the art. Yeah. So that, that part of the process is really appealing to me where I had an idea. The artist was inspired to do something that elevated the idea. And now I'm sort of re-inspired to go back and adjust my dialogue to accommodate the pages. Yeah. And so I like, I like that very participatory part of the craft. The part about creating that I hate is, you know, the caricature of the novelist who's sitting at his desk all night long with a cigarette in one hand and a whiskey in the other. And he's trying to, you know, he's all alone and he's working on his, 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 his stupid prose and he's, you know, he's trying to be inspired or whatever. And the great thing about comics is it's a shared thing. Yeah. So I can do part A, send it over to the artist. The artist will, will, elevate it send it back to me and then i will hopefully take it to the next step and then right then the letter will add to it and then the colorist will add to it and you know the scene that i thought should be dark comes out to work actually better when it's brighter or the thing that i thought should be brighter actually works better when it's lit from the back so i love how every person in the process brings out yeah more of it and so yeah by the time and I realized I'm talking way too much. Then no, no, by, you're by, fine. By, the time, by the time it comes out as a printed comic, it's a lot different from when I started it, but it's better because everybody everybody had a piece. Yes, and moved it forward. Well, you may remember I'm a uh, you know I, I'm a I'm a proponent of the Marvel method, and 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 it's for that very reason I think that that that. That I've seen too many. I've seen too many full scripts from writers who just don't get it. And it's not that their stories. If you look at their stories as stories, it's like okay, this is not a bad story, but the way you have broken this down in your panels just is not the strongest way to do it. But then when you give that to an artist, that they're, they're kind of shoehorned to tell it that way. You know, I don't think. I don't think the artist is there to uh, to just sort of do what the writer says, hmm. and um, which is often the case in a full script. Yes, and it's often the yeah. case at Marvel and DC, and it's often the case at other comic book companies as well, where yeah. you have to fit. And it, it was certainly the case in the Ultraverse, where you had to do. Yeah. You know, you had to follow because it's it's the corporate thing. It's the demand. We're you know we're doing it this way because the toy company, the movie deal, the whatever, all has to line this up. And so I think that's that's different than when it's just you know just people making comics. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Hyper Potato says, Marsha worked out there? <laughs> yes, she did. Uh, and he says, that's uh, Fruit Bat 36 says, that's a great analogy, the craft beer one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, so we've now got up on the screen, Tommy. Tommy, uh, what, are you, what are you working on? What are, you, what are inks there? What? Oh, he's muted. What's he doing? I drove him. That's away. page one. That's page one. I recognize that terribly drawn person. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, you're muted. Uh, you can't figure out. Maybe I can unmute you. Let me see if I can. Uh, yeah, there you go. Go ahead. There it is. Uh, yeah, this is um, Mr. Pete's uh, page oh, one of Trump's. Um, he finally did it. He finally did page one. So I'm working on it now. Um, yeah. Page one. Of Trump's issue four. There you go. So do you uh, do you always? Oh, sorry, Ron. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Do you always ink like? Well, to me, it looks like you're just inking randomly as opposed to following. all over the place. Right? Yeah, you're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I do a little here, and then I do a little here, and then I do. Okay. Here. See, I've seen him inking up pages, Tom. The answer is yes. That's exactly well, that's, what he does. It, it's funny because you know this sort of ADHD approach is what I do is when I, when I start writing, I might have an idea for the middle part and I'll write them and be inspired. And then the middle part will come first and then I'll have to, to write, you know, the front part and then write the back part and then go back and fix the middle part. So I'm all over the place too. No, Tom, Tom, what I'm, what I usually do is because we're streaming this people, people, I think people don't want to see me inking buildings. So I just jump to the coolest thing. And so that way it looks, it, it, I'm trying to sell. <laughs> something it's fun for people to building this time. But, then, you know, but there might be some building fetishists who are out there who would just, you know. Well, then they <laughs> don't want this issue. issue. Because there's, I think I think there's an Overstreet category for good brickwork. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this building here. Then see see what see how about, many people go away after inking this. What about fire engines? Pete <laughs> loves to draw fire engines. I just don't like vehicles. Hey, do, you know, I don't like them. Do a do a man in a businessman's hat, and then do a do a sports car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Fruitbet's got another question here. He says, "How many comics did Malibu launch with? What were they, and who worked uh, worked on them?" So, all right. So, so go uh, back to the early days. What were the first comics that Malibu did? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys did a bunch of stuff. A lot, a lot of black so and white. Yeah. So here's here's the thing about uh, this kind of comic book company is that um, so we launched with three titles. We launched with uh, Ari Jones and Butch Bertram's Dark Wolf. Okay, I remember that which, one. Which had come in from Elite Comics in Texas had published at least one issue, maybe two or more. Um, and they went out of business and RA and Butch didn't have a place to take it. And so it was already, it would come in packaged. So like RA would write it, Butch would draw it, pencil ink it, and then Butch's wife would letter it. And so it was, it's like one of the easy comics mm-hmm. is you're not really, you're not really editing because it's creator owned. And so you just have to make sure that, uh, you know, they don't screw it up. Right. But you're not, you're not really, they're really giving RA story advice. Or Butch art advice, um, and then the the second one was Libby Ellis, which was from a guy named Dennis Pimple, 
and Norm Dwyer was the artist. They were in Chicago. And Libby Ellis was packaged as well. Uh, okay. Dennis wrote it, and Norm did the the pencils, the inks, the letters, and even colored the covers. Um, and that's when we thought, well, this this making comics is great. Other people put <laughs> the comics together. <laughs> you know, they're doing all that. Do anything, right? There, there's there's certainly a, a, a level of craft here. So, you know, that's great. And then uh, Dave had made um, David made a deal with a friend of mine named Mike Valerio mm-hmm. to publish. He had a, a screenplay idea for a book called Stealth Force, which is about four secret agents who flew around in what was then the hot military plane, the Stealth Bomber. Yeah, and they would go they would go into various countries and they would act like James Bond spies or whatever. And he wanted to eventually turn it into a movie. Um, but he would, he was willing to break the screenplay down into comic book form. And so he'd already been hired by Dave before I got on board. And, um, so then I actually had to work. I had to go find an artist and, and actually, do, <laughs> actually do the job of an editor. So stealth force became the, uh, the third book for the first launch month. Wow. Huh. Uh, I remember, uh, I don't, I think I remember Salesforce. I'd have to see some covers. I think I, I think I remember that one. Libby Ellis is ringing a bell, but not particularly, I'm not seeing any individuals here. Uh, Hyper Potato says, whatever happened to, uh, Dennis Pimple, dude could draw. Well, Dennis Pimple was the writer. So, okay. no, he couldn't draw. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Norm, Norm was the artist. Norm was um, somewhere on the internet. Somebody will point this out and say, no, nah, Tom got it wrong. What an old man memory. Um, but I, I believe Norm, Norm actually had a career in graphic design or advertising or video games or something where he was, he was actually making, you know, big money. Yeah. And comics, there were no, maybe you remember this too. There were a number of people during those go-go years of the great black and white boom where they thought, I can quit my day job and I can get yeah. some of that turtle. I can get some of that turtle money. Turtle money, yep. Oh, yeah. Everything will be great. And then, you know, only turtle gets turtle money. That's right. And so, <laughs> so um, yeah, after, after two sets of miniseries for Libby Ellis, I think Norman had, had realized that there is no, he's not going to be able to quit his day job. Yeah. And so um, I, I sort of, you know, it's the same thing. If you're not drawing a, co- it, well, you know, you get, when you're putting out 10 or 12 comic books a month, you're really busy. So you, you lose yeah. track of people. If you're not, if you're not publishing their work, I don't really know you anymore because right. <laughs> <laughs> got, and we, I, you know, it's one of the it's sad, but true things, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got 12 comics to put out and you know, I'll see you at a convention. That's right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe right. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not on break when you walk around. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, you know, that's one of the things that uh, I always tell people that, Hey, it's, it's, it's important to with my students, right? So it's important to maintain your contacts. One of the things we, uh, we beat in their brains, Tom at, at uh, full cell university is uh, it's all about networking. Is it uh, that people, people want to work with people they know. Yes. 
and, and, and like like you, you're getting ready to start a, a if you get ready to start a, a company, you're going to automatically call the people that you know and that you like and that you want yes. to work with. You're not going to just say, hey, I'm going to start a company. Who wants to be involved? You no. might do that later. Right. But when one of my friends screws me over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, <but> <laughs> or can't meet the deadline. Yeah, but there's. But there's, and, and you know, you you hear a lot of this too. Of well, it's all who you know. That's how you get in. And well, well, yeah. A, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And 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 B, every job I've ever had, even not comics, has been because I knew somebody who knew somebody. Yep. yep. Like I got I got a job in a grocery store when I was in college <laughs> because I knew a guy. <laughs> yeah. I got a job. I got a job at a computer store. Because my dad knew a guy. Yep. And so it's not, it's everywhere you turn, there, there is no, you know, there could easily have been a hundred people who wanted the grocery store job, but I got it because, you know, I knew yep. a guy. Yep. And so, and, and that's just the way the world works. Right. And so <laughs> you've, you've got it because I guarantee you the the thing is, <laughs> this is the beauty of it. I'm, I'm hardly the best writer of anything, but I know a lot of people. And so when somebody, when somebody wants somebody who's not the best writer, my phone rings. <laughs> because I, well, and, and I know the other a lot of people. Thing, and the other important thing is, and I know you know this, is that, is that um, you have to deliver. Yes. Well, there's, there's that thing that Neil Gaiman says. There are three things. You can be good, you can be fast, or you can be demanding. But you can't be, you can only be two of them. Two of them, yeah. Or something, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm screwing up the quote. But there's, you, you can miss a deadline if you're great and easy to work with. But you, you can't miss the deadline, be difficult to work with, and right. be a pain. Yeah. Even if the work is great. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, so there's another question here before, before we get to my next question for you. Uh, Fruitbad36 says, what was the connection of Eternity Comics and Malibu? He said, I had one or two issues of Libby Ellis. Uh, I don't know. How much time do we have? And do the other people in this group want to have a conversation? Uh, Tom, I'm here to listen to you, man. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to color, so. All right. That's, are you coloring Whenever. while we're talking? I'm coloring while he's drawing. Yeah, oh, excellent. We could swap it out anytime. <laughs> so, yeah. wow, where to begin? So here, here, I'll try to be brief. Um, so when Scott was the, the financial backer behind Malibu Comics, it turns out that Scott was also the backer behind a bunch of other comic book companies. Oh, so I wondered what what was he, the deal there. Yeah, he put he put the money into. Eternity Comics in Brooklyn, New York, and he put some mm-hmm. money into uh, Amazing Comics in West Virginia. Okay. And then because, you know, everybody dreams in turtle money in those days. Oh, yeah. It turned out that a new comic book company with a new number one would actually mm-hmm. sell better than a new number one from an existing company because retailers really? are thinking of turtle money. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. So then they Scott... Were, they were hoping you would, uh, somebody would... Would light that fire too, right? Right. And so 
Scott then financed the Eternity guys to make another company called Imperial. And then Scott financed the amazing guys in West Virginia to make another company called Wonder. I remember Wonder. So so Scott, those were David Campini's companies. Yeah. And so then Scott had those four companies. And it was Scott's dream to have this weird vertical integrated company where comic books would be created by companies he owned. They'd be distributed through Sunrise, Sunrise Distribution, where he would be able to mark up the prices of books that were hot because he would have them in inventory. Right. And then he would sell them by mail order through another company that he had. So he would basically triple dip for the same product. Good grief. Well, that, that, that's like an Ivan Bosky, you know, uh, Bernie Madoff type of scheme, <laughs> which, which only it only works when the industry is healthy and nobody cares. Right. And then, then the black and white industry collapsed and then yeah. Sunrise collapsed and then those companies collapsed. Um, and those companies collapsed right about the time that Malibu Comics started. But the Eternity name still had retail value. Yeah. And so um, Malibu Comics then became the holding company. And then the Eternity imprint was, was imported over to the Malibu Comics offices. Hmm. So we so then we we quit calling the books Malibu on the titles on the covers yeah. and then we put Eternity as the the company imprint. Yeah, and they also a lot of them still had. I, I can remember the Malibu graphics. Yeah, uh, as mm-hmm. the yeah as the the sort of the corporate thing. That was yeah. that was uh, Dave Oberch's thing. He was trying to make it sound like we were. Um, Hot. Like an like an important thing. Like we could be a, the publisher of anything, not just comics. Gotcha, gotcha. Huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hyper Potato says, "I'm here for the '80s comics history and Marsha at the gym stories." <laughs> hey, you know what? She was very nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I remember some of those stories. I don't. I never went. Of course, I never went over to. I'm kind of like uh, Captain Hammer. I never went to the gym. <laughs> we had we had a guy, <laughs> and it's always a guy. Um, we had a guy who worked at the gym, who worked at the the snack bar at the gym, and he would call us up. Marsha's here today, <laughs> and we had we had a deal with the gym where if we didn't tow their cars away from our parking lot, they'd get us a free membership. Uh, yeah yeah and so then a bunch of guys would run over and hoping to catch a glimpse of marcia at the gym <laughs> i remember that actually <laughs> i remember asking about the, the the i remember asking about the parking lot specifically yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so so curtis pete tom uh roberta y'all, y'all have questions actually i have a, a question or kind of more clarification because one of the one of the stories that I remember Tom kind of telling, but I don't remember all the details was um, I've always felt that Tom's like very clever. And in the sense that I always noticed that you would never take no for an answer. You would just find a creative solution to get the yes that you wanted, you know, That's in, right. in, in a good way. That's true. And, and I remember when the dinosaurs for hire, there was something that happened with the logo where, and I think had to do with, we had a Malibu interactive branch and with you getting credited on it and, yeah, I believe that that wasn't going to work out the way you wanted it. Tom's so, already member and he's laughing. Yeah, and and you you did something with the logo. Yes, I'll did. let you pick it over. But but I remember this is like to me was was quintessential Tom Mason being being clever kind of situation. So so you could here's, share that. 
here's the, here's the thing is that um and and pay attention kids because you can use this too um yeah. is that so i had this this project called dinosaurs for hire and we had the malibu interactive division and and that was run by bob jacob and bob had made a deal with sega to have dinosaurs for hire turned into a video game and he was going to it was going to be produced out of house so bob's division wasn't going to do it there was a studio in diamond bar california that was going to actually make the game and there was i and then in those days i was not necessarily smart but i was savvy and i knew from reading over the paperwork that there was no guarantee that i would actually be credited as the creator of dinosaurs for hire in the game and so it, at worst there'd be like a or at best there'd be a tiny strip in the the uh, the instructions that would just say you know based on a comic book created by tom mason <laughs> and so i and i would i argued with bob briefly because nobody ever argued with bob because he would he would sort of puff up like a big puffer fish and then he yep. would he would he would, he would start <laughs> to, to, to exhale a bunch of expletives and loud uh, obnoxious comments and wow. so once it was clear that my name may or may not be associated with the game i thought well screw this so i went to um i think it was tim eldred who was the designer that we had on staff at the time and i said i would like a new logo for the comic book when we relaunch the comic book and we can use it on the game and then i would like my there we go i would like my name mm-hmm. to be put as part of the logo in such a way that it cannot be cropped out <laughs> so when the packaging people from out of the office came and said we need the logo i had the logo and there's my name so the my name is on the is on the cover of the game that's great. That's great. I remember that. <laughs> it, it, did, uh, did Bob Jacob realize, or was it did it just go over his head, or, or did went right it... over his head? Because at that point, at that point, it it now existed as the logo. Uh-huh. So it wasn't. It was. It was no longer a matter about giving me credit or not giving me credit. It was not a thing to fight for because I had my name in the logo. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and my, one of my favorite things about that book was always. It, I thought it was so singular was whenever somebody got killed, whether their head was getting chopped off or they were getting riddled with bullet holes, it would just say, I, I am slain. And it was like <laughs> clockwork in the issue. <laughs> that, and that comes from that actually come that, that wasn't in the original black and white version that comes oh, really? from the color version. When I got the pages in from Mitch and when Mitch would stage the fight, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things he would do, one of the great things he would do is he would always add characters in the background uh-huh. And there'd be a little bit of white space, uh-huh. and I can't, I can't leave white space. Right. <laughs> if it, if, I mean, I can obviously for the colorist or whatever. I'm I'm fine with the with the space, but if it looks like a word balloon could fit, uh-huh. I'm gonna think of something yeah. to put in there because <laughs> it. it's always like I think this guy needs to say something, and then it became you know the guy getting stabbed going I am slain or oh my <laughs> head fell off or you know. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And so the more the more I did that, the more Mitch would keep putting people in the background. And so then it would just it I when Mitch left, was I was really well Roland knows when Mitch left, yeah. I was like super bummed. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Really and here's that. the thing. This is the great thing too, is I never talked to Mitch. I never met him. I don't know what he really? I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know anything Wait, about him. Even till today you've never met Mitch? Never met Mitch. Never wow. talked to him. Never met him. I 
I knew him. I knew him through Roland. Yeah. And through working on Cat and Mouse. And I wanted him. I wanted him on Dinosaurs for Hire. And I would just. He agreed to do it. And I sent him the the paid the scripts. And he would just. He was a workhorse. Oh man, yeah, yeah, like clockwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I always thought when once he started doing the Green Lantern stuff for DC, I thought this guy's on his way. And then you know, things just happen, and you know, yeah, he's not. (laughs) And Tommy's like, yeah, (laughs) right. I'm I'm sure there's a story nobody wants to get into, but oh yeah. So since we're talking about dinosaurs, I'm sorry, Curtis, you, it, 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 was that it? Uh, I had one more. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Fire away. No, know, I've, got a, I've got a big list, so and my list can wait. So. Well, one thing I thought was, was, was um, Prototype, right, which, you yes. know, was, mm-hmm. was really great, uh, Ultras characters. I always thought it was interesting because when it started out, it kind of seemed more or less like, oh, it was like an Iron Man clone kind of thing. But then it was revealed right. in, later on in the series that the person, uh, Jimmy Ruiz, right, who was actually yeah. inside the, the the armor, actually had power and, and was actually yes. an ultra. How did that, was that something in the beginning, like right from the groundwork was was part of it? Or was that a twist? Because I, I thought that was a great, great thing with yeah, that story. So the, the original, this is where I'm going to take credit for a lot of things. And then I'm going to give most of the credit to Len Straszewski. So it's yeah. it's going to be sounding like I talk a lot about myself, but it, it, it won't lead anywhere. Um, so I created, created in quotation marks, the, the original concept for prototype was, a was a pitch that I did at the ultraverse conference called company man and company man was the idea of what if there was a superhero who was basically the mascot for a corporation. And so he would do car shows and boat shows or whatever and commercials or whatever, but he was actually their weapon. So if you need. If you need somebody to interfere with the manufacturing of your competitor in Eastern Europe, you send him in and he'll take care of it. And so that that's basically the pitch. And then the other stuff, I think it's Len Strzuzki who came up with the name Prototype. Mm-hmm. It's Len who came up with the Jimmy Rees stuff. Oh, really? I, didn't okay. have, I didn't have Jimmy Rees in, my, Rees in mind at all. Len brought that in. And then the idea that um, Jimmy was a battery. And basically the suit was the thing that contained his power as opposed to give him power. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I, well, I know that didn't come from me because I'm not that smart. I'm pretty sure that came from Len or from, or in conference with the other Alterverse uh, writers. Okay. So that, I think it was, it was Len's idea to do that. And it was <laughs> because I think this way, my original thing about prototype was he would be an old guy. Because I love oh. the idea of the old world weary superhero who has like one last, you know, fight left in him. And Len was like, yeah, you know, we're kind of appealing to a younger audience. Maybe we should have, uh, you know, we got a lot of old guys in the Ultraverse. Maybe we should have a young guy. So all that comes from Len. Well, here's a voice we don't hear very often. Oh, wow. Stephen Hello. Butler says, hey, hey. Tom. Hey. It's, <laughs> Tommy, you're still muted. It's... it's <laughs> It's the which which Tom me or the other Tom? No, Tom Thomas Lamont. He, every time he he, he fiddles with his oh. iPad, he, he mutes himself, and then he and then you can see him start talking, and it's like, uh, no, my my yeah, okay, I'm back on. <laughs> hey, Stephen, 
There you go. That's what I said. That's all I said. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'll shut up now. I see. I see Steven stuff pop up on uh, Facebook all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he still got it. Oh man, he still. Oh, he sure yep. does. Yep, he sure does. He still. He still got the chops and still got the passion. Very much. So. Did he go uh, away? Where did he go? Oh yeah, he oh, he's uh yeah he he's he that was a comment. Uh, wait, so so since he's here, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna call him out. Here. You ready, Tommy? Oh uh, uh, no 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 no! Don't do it! Don't do it! Sure. <laughs> oh, we've invited him to come show up with us so many times, but you know, <laughs> Tom, you remember, uh, uh, he lives out in the middle of the sticks. Yes, <laughs> he still well, lives there. Okay, he still lives in the middle of the sticks, and so he's like, yeah, Roland. Uh, I need a Dixie cup to get uh, get onto the internet. I don't think my connection would be very good. And we're like, just just do it anyway, dude. Just do it anyway. So he, so. he, he doesn't have Wi-Fi. He just has Y. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when his electricity goes down, it's because his kids have stopped pedaling the bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> it's like on Gilligan's Island. Right. <laughs> Uh, Steven, good to see you. Uh, CC's laughing at us as uh, LOL. Um, Curtis, another question, follow up. Um, yeah, just on the you know, you working with Len Straziski on the, I mean, comic books are all about collaboration between different creators, but what is that dynamic when it's with another another writer as opposed to writer to penciler to inker? Well, was, that, was that a challenge or it, it can be, but you gotta, you gotta find a way to make it work. Like if you go in, you know, it's, it's like a marriage or any other kind of relationship where it, it's not going to be a hundred percent of what you want. So you got to sort of figure out a way that you can still work together and make a comic. So the way we figured it out is that, um, so I would write 80% or so, maybe 75% of the odd numbered issues. And then Len would do the same with the even numbered issues. And then we would go back in and edit what the other person had done. So that's the collaboration rather than we would, we would talk about the stuff ahead of time. So like, so nothing was a surprise really. And we would say, this is the plot that we should, we should do. Let's do it this way. If we set this up this way, we can probably get two or three issues down the road following the same uh, tale. So let's, you know, so we would talk about it in advance. Then I would go off and I would write, and we, we didn't have to turn in outlines or anything. So we would just write a script. I'd give it to Len before Alm ever saw it. And then Len would, you know, it. And because I, I have a tendency to go off the rails. And um, then Len would send it back to me. And then we would talk again about what Len had done. And then Len would do the second issue, the, the even numbered issue. And we'd work that same process. And so that's that's the way we would work. Oh, that's really that cool. Worked, so it would. So it would. It is not. It's not the prototype that I would have done on my own, mm-hmm. and it's not the prototype that Len would have done on his own. But I think it's a better version of prototype. And we because we weren't, we were in sync. We were never fighting about you know. Oh, you 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 know you jackass. Why did you change this? Or whatever. It was yeah. more like, um, how? What's the best way to get to this point in you know the story? Because we have twelve issues, we have twelve stories to tell over over a year, and we have to do one every thirty days. So, you know, you make it work. That's really cool. You know, one thing with um, you know, Ultraverse, I feel like there's so much stuff that nowadays 
you know, has its DNA from Ultraverse and from all the stuff Malibu did. And I always thought the, the most fascinating was what, what happened with the exiles. And, you know, like Robert Kirkman, the, the final issue of, uh, you know, Walking Dead was kind of a big surprise and all that. But to me, it, it reminded me of everything that was done with the with the Exiles book for the Ultraverse. And, and yes. uh, whose okay. idea was that? And how? I, because I think when I first started, I remember it was almost pre-Ultraverse. And I saw pages of the Exiles at the company being worked on alongside the protectors or something. If I remember, I can't remember the, the full yes. details. So yeah. the the thing is that we had... So Chris and Dave and I created a book called The Exiles uh, prior to the Ultraverse even being started. And we had hired uh, Paul, I'm going to say his name wrong, I think, Paul Pelletier. Pelletier, mm-hmm. yeah. So the, yep. We had hired him to pencil it, and we had gotten, I'm pretty sure it was Ken Branch who inked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that Branch guy, he's good too. Um, <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and so... Um, and we had it sitting there and we were working on it and we were thinking about it and we we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And we realized that nobody really wants a one-off superhero book from Malibu comics. Cause they would just, here's what the sales would do and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we did, then we got the idea for the Ultraverse and we went away to this conference with all the Ultraverse creators. And we had this meeting in Gerber, you know, <laughs> Gerber is sort of like a firebrand in some, but when he gets a, when he gets something in his head, you know, he's he's like a he's like a Marxist on his podium. He's just <laughs> when, we, when we kill superhero, when we kill our characters, you know, they should stay dead. You know, he's you know, and it's like okay, Steve, fine. Well, you know, they'll stay dead. <laughs> Whatever. And so and, and and Chris writes it down in the notebook. Steve Gerber says, when we kill people, they just stay dead. And um, <laughs> so it, it it rolls it rolls around in the back of our head for a while, and then we get back to the office. Uh, when the conference is over and we're still rolling around and then it hits, I forget who it was, but somebody said, we have this book called the exiles. That's not really connected to the ultraverse because it didn't, it doesn't have its DNA from the original ultraverse conference. It's not really in the Bible. What if we kill them all? <laughs> and what, if they, what if they stay, what if they stay dead? And so we talked to Gerber about it and Gerber loves the idea because yeah. Um, it sort of it validates his theory of you know killing people and then having them stay dead and not ever bringing them back. And then I think it was, I think it's either Dave or Chris who said, "Let's not tell anybody. Like let's let's kill them off, but let's solicit it as if the book is still coming out." So we <laughs> yeah. we we kept it as a secret in the office. Only a handful of people knew, and we. And Gerber kills them all off at the end of issue four. And we still solicited issue five. We still did a cover mock-up for it. We still solicited issue six through the computers and and had orders for it. And then the fourth issue comes out and everybody's dead. And then we announce that, oh, yeah, haha, we tricked you. And issues five and six don't really exist. Because that was the only way. Because everybody needs to know the advanced information ahead of time. Now that's yeah. the only way to keep a secret is if you if you wow. screw up people's heads. And so the diamond was pissed off. <laughs> and Capital City was the same way. Useless in comics, you weren't going to publish. And we said, 
hey, we wanted to surprise everybody with a story-driven element. What would you have us do? Well, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, So they they stayed dead. Yeah. Um, Yeah, still one of the great stories. Definitely, definitely. What was the fan feedback? Were the fans receptive? Or I I don't recall if there was any... The fans were still like, well, you almost never, because there's no internet back then. So there's no instant feedback. So you just have to go by what you get from the handful of letters you get or when you meet people at conventions. Yeah. You get, most of it is, you know, it can't be canceled because you you solicited issues five and six. So ha ha ha, they're not dead. And so. (laughs) Yes, they are. you, you You wait and see. Because this is not coming up. And then, but you get a lot of like, nobody ever does that. Like, nobody, that was really a surprise. Like, that was yeah. really, that was a cool surprise. Well, and then, why did you kill, you know, why did you kill characters I was invested in? Right. Yeah. Like, well, they, you know, they had to die for the story. And then the story became a surprise. Because Malibu needed a blood sacrifice. <laughs> That's it. You have to. You have to. You one must appease the gods, and I, was, I wasn't going to give up my children. So, compliments are all you get. That's great. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, uh, Roberta. You got any questions for Tom? Yeah, I thought that there was going to be like a. Like a dinosaurs for hire show or a movie or something. Did that ever? I am take so off? glad you brought up dinosaurs for hire because that's one of the questions I always had it all about. <laughs> I want to so, know. So the thing is, it got it got licensed to 20th Century Fox, and Fox wanted to make it as part of their afternoon syndication block because they smelled turtle money. They thought, mm. hey, these guys are lizards. Mm. They look like lizards. They're they're kind of like turtles. We could sell them side by side with turtles, and we could get a lot of dinosaur toys. And we could because you know kids love the dinosaurs. Oh yeah, and, you know. And then I took, I they went off and they did some development that they did not like because they couldn't, they couldn't juxtapose the content of Dinosaurs for Hire, which is people getting shot by dinosaurs with actual guns. <laughs> <laughs> with that, you know, with the happy jolly Tuesday afternoon, yeah, too tame block of turtles going cowabunga, and so, <laughs> so I, so I go, I go into this meeting with the Fox people, and Len Wein is there, and they want they want to bring in Len Wein to try to make the dinosaurs for hire more turtly, and wow. um, and Len, you know, Len's a valiant trooper. He's a writer for hire uh, at at that kind of thing. And so we have a long conversation in the conference room with the Fox people about how to make it, you know, then they're, they're all concerned, like, you know, do they brush their teeth and what kind of chair do they sit in? And do they have a clubhouse? You know, it's like, and I I just sort of like, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is, this is like every Hollywood movie I've ever seen, every Hollywood meeting I've ever seen in a TV show or a movie where, because the comic mm-hmm. is not about how they brush their teeth or what, you know, whatever. And so, um, but we have this long conversation and then um, Len goes off and he does his thing and he brings it back in and we have another meeting and the meeting is basically 
you know, we can't if we if we try to make them too much like if we try to make them like we want to make them, which is like the turtles, then we lose all the funny parts of the comic book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not a it's not a turtles comic book. It's a it's a subversive, angry, violent, volatile piece of with you know it has nothing to do with turtles and pizza and sewer rats and so um and all of the jabs at the comic book industry eventually they understood that it wasn't going to work and they they canceled it and they never got out of development it never got i have some crappy art that they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah Where it looks they look like um you know eight bit nintendo characters Oh man! Oh wow! It's just that are hysterical. <laughs> but that, yeah, they just can't go anywhere from there. No, no, no. it's because you would—they're not turtles. No, and no. if you want, if you want to, you know, and the funny thing is, and I, I didn't tell them this, but there were other turtle-like properties they could have gotten. Oh yeah, uh, like hamsters, gerbils, gerbils, any of those things, kung fu kangaroos or whatever it was. Oh yeah, it if they want, if, if they want to catch that turtle magic and start <laughs> living high on that turtle money, there's plenty of places they could have gone. You don't have to take, you know, you can't turn Dirty Harry into Johnny Quest. No, <laughs> it would have so, been great for Adult well, Swim or something like Adult Swim. You know, that would yes, have been. Yeah. Had Adult place. Swim existed back then, yeah, that would have yeah. been the perfect place. You just walk over to Cartoon Network and go, "Well, here I am." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one of the questions you know that I pepper you with probably once every twelve months or something like that is, "When are we going to see more dinosaurs for hire in comic book form?" Here's here's the thing: is <laughs> you know I have I have all the rights. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've, I've collected them back over the years, and um, and I've sat on them because I don't. Well, for one thing, I don't think I could do the exact same comic book now that I did back then. Gee, why, Tom? I think <laughs> I think the world is different, and I'm different. Yes, so I learned <laughs> really. I learned well. I learned not to be so angry, and I learned not to be. Um, I learned how to tell stories, and that stories are not just a series of unconnected jokes that lead to a conclusion where everybody gets shot. <laughs> so I think, so I think, oh my god i love it so i think i think there's that and so i have i have a take on them and i have a plot and i have some some other ideas for stuff but i'm never because of the way the world works i mean like there's no like marvel isn't going to do it and dc is not going right. to do it and they, there's right. no there's no independent so go company you know ross god bless him i love that guy but he's not going to do it Oh no! Uh, uh-uh. It doesn't and, fit the boom. Right. It's not. It's not a boom book. No, and it's not. Yeah. And I don't want to get, you know, because I do tend to go off on, you know. So I don't want to get anybody in. I don't want to get Ross in trouble. I don't want to get because right. uh, he's, you know, he's a Disney guy now, and so yes. um, yeah, and, you know, Dark Horse, there's nothing there, and um, you know, Valiant doesn't do that kind of stuff. Right. And so the only the option left to me is Kickstarter. Yeah. And um, it's a good one. I could do that. It's a good mm-hmm. one. You, yeah. you seem to be it doing is. just fine. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so there's that. But then the other, I haven't really figured out if the if the idea is 
um, yes, Roland's going to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a thing, and I see this in other guys, and it's always guys from the from you know the interwebs. It's yeah. like, well, I had this comic book that was popular in the '80s and '90s, and now I'm bringing it back. And it's like, well, yawn. A lot of people don't really, you know, care. And just because you had a comic book in the 80s and 90s doesn't mean you have staked out any ground in the 2022s. In the 2020s, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. Um, and so I just, I sort of sit on it and I think about it and I roll it around in my head. And, you know, I, I got an artist. I got, uh, yeah, I seem to have met a colorist today. <laughs> so, um, have you boys read I mean, the uh the dinosaurs for hard books no okay they don't my kids don't care oh yeah. they, <laughs> doesn't it just make you cry no because no because here's, here's it's it's like my i don't like the same music that my dad tried to get me into when i was a kid well, that's true. So it's just, it's the same thing. My my dad would say, oh, look, don't you love this? And it's like, dad, this sounds like cats fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my kids, what my kids like is they like that I knew certain people. Like I, if I said I used to hang out with the creator of Howard the Duck, uh. that was like, oh, they, because they, they could dine cool. off of that at school. They could take that into school and say, my dad used to work with the creator of Howard the Duck. Like that's right. the thing. And um, then, and I, I met, I once met Mark Hamill and I once met, you know, Ming-Na Wen. And so they like that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they liked sense. it when I would, when they were younger, when they were in elementary school and I would show up at their school for like, you know, father presentation day. I gave the coolest presentation because I would bring in a bunch of books. I bring in the books, but I would bring in posters. I would bring in the toys. I would bring in the video games. I would bring in the books. I was like, I would. I look like a store. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you, I, could, I, could, I could say to them, um, you know, this, and they would ask a thousand questions about comic books and TV and whatever. And I would answer all their questions and I would talk to them. And then um, my kids were not interested in me at the presentation, but the next day when their friends would come up to them. And say, you know, oh, my dad's just a fireman, or my dad's just <laughs> my, dad, my dad's just a chemical engineer, or my dad's just you know a, tri- a triage nurse or whatever. <laughs> your dad, your your dad, he knows he knows uh, Luke Skywalker, and he knows the Howard. Right. He knows, so they would they like that stuff. It's the cool factor. It's the cool factor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then as they move, they move into their teenage years. It's like, oh, dad, you and your stupid comics. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, why, why can't yeah. you work on a cool show, Dad? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you work on Avatar: The The Last Airbender? I think not. <laughs> yeah. Did you work on Gravity Falls? No. <laughs> I think I, I saw Kate, Kate Beckinsale being interviewed, and they're asking her daughter. She said that her daughter wanted to be an act, actor, and. Um, she said, oh, so you want to act like mommy? She goes, no, I want to be a real actor. You can't win. Even if, even if you're Kate Beckinsale, you're not cool enough. No, so. no you can't. You, know, yeah. you, can. <laughs> uh, you want to see coloring? Should I yeah, yeah, put it up. Yeah, 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 Peter Tommy, you guys got uh, any questions? I, I did. Uh, uh, 
what you can remember. Give us a crazy story about these guys back at the office over there. Back in the day. Give us something that they won't tell us about. If you remember, uh, I mean, I know that's a few years back. But, uh, well, it's... I'm not going to tell the Roland story. Yeah, no, we need it. We need it. We need it. I mean, he he's told your stories. So, I, oh, I, I will tell you. I haven't I, told all of Tom's stories. No, no, I, I'll tell a Curtis one. Okay. Oh, Curtis story. So we met the Malibu. When I say we, I mean the Malibu people. We met Curtis when you were like what, 14, 13, yeah. 14, 15, yeah. somewhere like that. Yeah. And you were. You were a kid, and I, I believe you showed up at the office because you found out that we made comic books locally. Yeah, my, my dad had gotten me a tour of the place, and then a week right. later I showed up to – um I basically chased Chris Holmes car down in the parking lot and, and begged for him to let me work at Malibu. So Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's how you got in, and then you became – you sort of became like the odd job guy. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever – like we don't really have a job for you. You can't be an editor. You can't be – an employee because you're too young and you can't be whatever. So we, you'd be like the photocopy person or the organizing person or whatever until you, you just kept coming. And then we had to pay. Did we start paying you? Didn't we? Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. You started paying me and then, and then I worked under Roland eventually, but yeah, yeah. yeah I was, I was uh, the gopher basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. You were, you were, you were like Corporal O'Reilly on mash. <laughs> and then, and then it's like, well, Curtis is always here. Maybe we should, we should put him to work and then maybe we should pay him and then maybe we should give him a title and then maybe we should give him a job. <laughs> You're, if, you know, if you want to, you know, considering the ways we all broke into comics, when I, when I tell people how you break into comics, yeah. like, well, let me tell you about Curtis. Here's how Curtis. <laughs> Curtis got a tour. Curtis then just showed up and kept showing up until finally gave him stuff to do. I, I, that sounds like the plot of like a lifetime movie where people get killed, but that's, Chris <laughs> yeah. was out in the parking lot washing people's cars that didn't want their cars washed. He yeah. just he could be around. Yeah. I, I when I when I left for college, I had I, I had thank goodness I'd done this. I got a big a hardcover sketchbook and I got all the different artists and people to sign and like a yearbook, you know, to draw pictures right, for me yeah. and stuff. And I got Roger Robinson to um, draw a prototype, and then I had you sign it. And I was I was quite the copy uh, the photocopy king back in the day and. And I still remember, Tom, you signed it and you gave it back to me. And I opened it up and there was this great illustration of prototype with a word balloon by you that said, Curtis, I will always admire your photocopying skills. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I still have it probably to this day. I, I still, <laughs> and, and before you turn your badge in, we need some stuff photocopied before you leave. <laughs> HR needs uh, a Sorry, I can't yeah. share. That's right. Sorry about that. You can't? No. Oh. Uh, Cassisi says, Not I love sure. this story. Way to go, Curtis. Persistence matters, and you weren't afraid to be an apprentice. That's so awesome. Oh, thanks. Yes, I, like, I like apprentice better than gopher. Yeah. It's a fine line between stalking and being persistent, and that's, that's right. <laughs> so be careful. You had, you had the award-winning Curtis personality, though. Oh, yes. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, I had a I had a Malibu story that I don't know if if Roland or or Tom remembers, but I always I always think about it, it as a funny one, and it just shows you the the dynamic at that company how open everybody was. We had a a character named Rafferty that was basically in the Ultraverse that was a serial killer, you know, for um he would kill off all the super powered characters, and so I, I I told Roland, you know, we had been to several conventions, I said, hey Roland, what if 
what if we get somebody to dress up like Rafferty and then we'll have another person dress up like a, like a new Malibu character and we'll have them like murder the guy like live at a convention, you know, what do you think? And <laughs> instead of Roland saying, you know, you're crazy. He goes, you should talk to Tom about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never forget. I went to Tom and, and the fact that like a kid in high school could go up to these people who were like the heads of the company and just on a whim pitch an idea. So I told Tom my idea. I said, yeah. And then Rafferty could come out and, murder the person and and i still remember tom saying you know curtis that's not going to work out because the only character that we have a costume for is mantra and if he kills her her breasts are going to pop out in front of everybody <laughs> <laughs> and tom goes that's what? a good idea we could sell more books <laughs> why would that happen if she died the thing is that they because the mantra costume costs like several thousand dollars yeah. And nice it's really, it was only it was only held together with like tape. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> on purpose. And it was fitted <laughs> just for her, because wasn't it? It was what? It it what it was fitted to fit her. I forget her name. Caroline. Yeah. Well, it, but it wasn't it, it was it was tailored <laughs> for her size. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, and I already I already had to, to get people to follow around behind her to keep the fans away. Yeah. So, oh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to risk some sort of of costume malfunction by having her fall down. <laughs> oh, oh, I still remember. Uh, uh, you, you know the directions. Okay, here's the deal. She's going to be mantra. Here's what. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Keep the fans. Don't let them touch her. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> we had because we had to we had to clear all that with her because you're basically because she wasn't a comic book fan. Right. And so she's not, she was an actress and a model and she's not prepared for the, the thing that we were going to put her into, which was a, a giant pit full of, of guys. And so, uh, you know, we have to, we have to explain it to her. We have to, she has to explain back what she's comfortable with and not comfortable with. And then we have to explain to the staff who's going to follow her around. Yeah. Like, you know, these people are going to try every possible way to get, you know, some kind of contact with her. Yes either physical or verbal, so they can go, I talked to her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were going to do anything they could to put their arms around her in a picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and to put their hand where it shouldn't be. Right. And so that's why I had, um, I, I, I tried all the time. I had to have a guy for physicality, but I would also have another woman follow around because a woman is yeah. more acutely aware of things right than mm -hmm. another guy would be because we're all just stupid guys right. and so i i thought that having another woman there would 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 be a more watchful eye yeah so yeah, yeah. well that was uh, that was interesting times yeah <laughs> And that's that's not that's not something that you get trained for, really. Like when I when Dave and I start publishing Dark Wolf or whatever, it's like, hey, I bet one day we have a model walking around, and then we have to have security to keep right. people from touching her. Yeah. So you just, yeah, you start you start acquiring these odd skills as you uh, as you move forward. Oh, definitely. You know, Tom, I don't, I, I don't know if, if you recall, and I don't know, Roland, if you do, but I remember just before the, the sale to Marvel, and I think it was somebody. Oh, no, here we go. We're going to go into oh, that. No, it's just it, not, not about why, but I remember somebody gave me 
because um, I used to work the photo stat machine, gave me an image of Mantra with Batman. That was yes. like a piece of promo art. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I'm assuming that was when there were, were talks. I can't remember who did the art, but, but um, did I remember that correctly? It was like, it was like a, basically to pitch what it would look like if, if, if we were with DC or, or can anybody yeah, comment we, on that? We were at um, WonderCon in 94. Paul Levitz approached us and said, you know, if you guys ever need anything, you know, I'm around. Wow. And so then when uh, WSE, who were the corporate investors, wanted to sell the company and get out before the market crashed and they lost their investment, um, Scott initiated talks with Paul to have DC buy Malibu Comics. Wow. And then, uh, and then that was secret for a long time until yeah. it started to look like it was going to happen. Um Chris knew it. I knew it. Dave knew it. Scott knew it because we'd been in the DC meetings. And then we let Roland into it. And then and Dan and Hank were let yeah. into it. And then when it got to be close, we were going to um, start getting material ready so that we could pitch possible crossovers or one-shot books or whatever. And somebody, um, I think at that point, Hank would have been the mantra editor, wasn't he? No, that was me. Roland. Roland. Yeah. Okay, so at one point, then uh, some pieces of art were put together so that we could pitch. Basically, once DC bought the company, then we'd be like, you know, boom, 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 ready to go. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, I, I was just told to, to do it and not, not to ask any questions. So it took about <laughs> 30 years I can finally ask. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so boy and don't tell. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, so this this question may be a little little deep, Tom. No. Um, let me let me start with is the it one. Is it one where I hold a grudge? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's not going to be. Why did Marvel? All of oh no! Come <laughs> on. All right, go go deeper. No, so, so every day right. on Facebook. So That's I know right. there's a lot. I know there's going to be a lot of options for this. But if as you look back on your time at Malibu, what what's one of the uh, what's one of the things that uh, that you look back on and say, you know what, I'm really proud of that thing right here that we did, or this is kind of a this is kind of a it, you know it might be a book, it might be a thing. Just in general, what what's what's something that you look back on at Malibu and say, I'm glad that this happened and I was there or I did it or, or that kind of <laughs> I did it. I did it all. It was, all <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny cause, cause Curtis said something about being approachable and, and for the longest of time, I, you know, I didn't even know who Scott was. Right. Right. Cause we, Scott was we, tucked we away kept, in his office. We kept people away from Scott. Right. <laughs> well, and I learned that later. Right. <laughs> Well, did you show up one day? I'm going to go talk to Scott, and they go, "No, you're not." I always, I always thought of Malibu as the three of you. Yeah, well, because Scott, Scott doesn't read the books, you know. Right. Scott, <laughs> Scott knows. Here's the great thing about Scott is that if I'll get your, I'll get to your answer in a second, Roland. The great thing about Scott is that if you need, if you need a guy to realize to basically go through the spreadsheet and realize that if we, if we print X number of books a month. And we print them on this paper and we make an extra half cent, you know, in, in profit by using this paper at this printer for this many books at these print runs. 
Mm. We will save, you know, $80,000 a year. Wow. That's Scott. Yeah. If you, if you want a guy to say, what should we do with issue three of Mantra or what, how should the crossover work? Like that's the, that's not the Scott thing. Right. Like if you, if you have, and he'll have an opinion and it will be horrendously wrong. And um, that's the Scott that I got to see after y'all left. Right. And so, <laughs> and he's probably, he's probably listening right now. Um, but, but Scott's genius is with figures. Yeah. And, and contracts, like the way, the way the Ultra Force cartoon show was put together is that there's a toy deal on the table. And there's a, a syndication company called Bobot that will put a TV show on the air. And there's an animation studio in Korea that will make the show, but nobody will commit until somebody else does. Right. Which means no one's going to commit and the show's not going to get made. So Scott, the genius of Scott, is Scott goes to each of them and says the other people are in. But they're not in. Right. Now he goes... <laughs> He goes to the toy company and says, the animation company's in, and I got a deal for the syndication. He goes to the syndicator and says, I got the toy money. Toy money. I, got the, I got the money from uh, the animation studio. They're in, and the toy, the toy people are going to put in this much money to the budget of each episode. And he goes to the animation studio. He, he flies to Korea, goes to the animation studio, and gives gifts to all the people that are going to animate the show and uh-huh. tells them, I got the syndication deal, and I got the toy company in. And so – then then everybody you know it's he makes the deals it's it's a web of lies and it sounds horrible but that's the way business gets done in any industry yeah and so and then you get a show and then you get toys and then you get you know you get stuff on the air and so that's that's the genius of scott is being able to balance all of that you know where he falls apart is hey what if prototype does right and then it's like yeah scott go count something <laughs> so, all right so the the thing the thing that i'm proudest of yeah i will tell you this the thing that i'm proud of the thing that i look back on fondly mm-hmm. is being in the office surrounded by a bunch of people and basically laughing my ass off as everybody created stuff mm. i like the sense uh, and i understand that that my position in the company was a lot different than other people and that other people were basically employees, whereas I was, you know, Kim Jong-un or something of the company. <laughs> I get all of that. But I still, I like that everybody was around. I like the open office. I like yeah. that you could talk, you could really talk to anybody that you could get a hold of, that you could pitch, you could pitch the stupidest idea possible. Um, and there were enough, like, we had this thing that we, we built up early on that, well, yeah, of course they're stupid ideas, but there really aren't any stupid ideas because the guy who, but the guy who brings up a stupid idea, or or the the person who brings up a stupid idea, they're not stupid. The idea might be stupid, right? That stupid idea, you know, that stupid idea. We all laugh at it. And go, oh, what a stupid idea! And then five minutes later, other people have thrown out a bunch of other stuff, and that leads to, you know, we could bring that stupid idea back, mm-hmm. and we could work it into this this mix, twist and it. All, and twist it around and then boom. So the, I liked the open sort of concept of, of that and everybody going out to lunch and everybody hanging out. And, you know, we had a baseball team. We had, uh, you know, we'd go bowling, we'd go to the yeah. movies, we would do all that stuff. I liked that. I've never been in an office before or since that was as loose and as crazy and 
you know, in many ways as wrongheaded as, <laughs> as that was. And that's, that stems from Dave and Chris and myself wanting to create a place yeah. where we didn't feel like we were dragging our ass out of bed to go to, you know, a thing called work. Work. It's like we're making comic books. The least we could do is make it interesting and fun. Mm. Well, and and it's fun because I think you I think you achieved that because you know I, I'm not uh, I'm not a morning morning person usual usually no I, I, before or after <laughs> but I didn't have problems getting up to go to work at, at at Malibu you know my alarm went off I you know I got up and if, of course it was early and I was sleeping and everything but but I didn't have problems I didn't wake up going oh man I gotta go to work today you know we, I didn't have that we we, we tried. As as corporate as we got, we tried not to be so top down that people couldn't do their jobs. Like I, I don't. I'm I'm sure it happened, but people people higher up were not hovering over the colorist, going, "No, that needs to be more blue," or "No, that right. needs to be more orange." Or, no. or I remember. Oh God, I, I probably shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. Roberta's like, yeah, tell it, tell it. Right. So this is a Bob Jacob story. <laughs> uh, this is this is this is one of those those things that Curtis alludes to where I'm a weasel. Um, so, I didn't say that. So at the uh, at the Westlake Village office, when we had merged with a video game company, the comic book people were in one building, and the video game people were in a different building across town in in Westlake Village, so like four miles away or whatever. And every day, Bob Jacob would come over because he was now the co-president of the company. He would come over and he would walk through the office. And he would start picking up artwork on everybody's desk. Oh. He'd start looking through the film before it went I to the remember that. And he'd start going, you know, like the, like he's the king or something. Oh, I don't like the way this hand is drawn. Or I don't like the way this belt looks. Or this, you know, the, whatever. Because, you know, he's, he's in, in his mind anyway, he's the boss. And this is what a boss does. And then he would sit for like two hours in Chris's uh, cubicle and demand Chris's attention. And without any understanding that, you know, we have a FedEx deadline at 4.30. Right. And, and Chris has to still dialogue some pages. He's still got to read some stuff and prove some stuff that, before it goes out. He doesn't have time for a two-hour conversation with Bob and his theories about comic books and whatever is on Bob's mind. And Bob would sit there. And so we go we go to Scott and we say, look, Scott, we can't get anything done because Bob keeps coming in and he's, you know, He's, he's bitching about all the artwork that he sees that, you know, for some reason he doesn't like, even though seven other people have approved it in the system. And then he's monopolizing Chris's time. So, you know, we're not getting so done. And Scott goes, well, you know, he's the company guy. You know, he owns the company. I don't know what to do. You guys, you guys should talk. <laughs> and so, so we're not going to talk to Bob. So we, 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 we have, we have, this, we have this meeting and the meeting is, it's me and it's Roland. And it's Mike Brown, and it's it's Dan, and it's Hank, and it's Chris, and it's Dave Obrich, and you know what are we gonna do? We're not gonna we're not gonna be able to stop it. And I I I'll take the heat for this as my idea, but I don't think it was my idea. What if we treat Bob like he's a visitor? And so we made a deal with the receptionist, and we said, look, every time you see Bob's car in the parking lot, call us. Mm-hmm. And and then, so Bob drives in, and we get a call. Uh, Bob just pulled up. 
Right. And then we would, we would all take we would all take turns and we would make sure that on Roland's desk there'd be some artwork that he wanted to show. On Chris's desk, there'd be some artwork to show. On Mike Brown's desk, there'd be some art to show, and, and Hank's desk, whatever. And then whoever's turn it was would pick up Bob. The the bullpen was shaped like a U, and we'd pick up Bob at the top of the U, and we would just greet him like he was a visitor, and or like he was, um, you know, a, a, like a seven year old. Yeah. And we would basically walk him through the office, and say, "Hey, Bob, it's great to see you." Here's, you know, here's Alan. He's working on this ad campaign. Isn't that great? And we realized that if we told Bob something was great before he could really see it, then he would assume it was great. And yeah. so then he would pass by Chris's desk and we, I'd, and Chris would pretend to be on the phone. And so, you know, Chris can't talk right now. He's on a kind He's talking to, uh, you know, Mike Barr or James Hudnall about something. And then he's got a lunch meeting. But, you know, and then Chris would turn around from the phone and sort of wave at Bob. And then we take him over to Roland's desk, and Roland would say would would pick up a thing that he knew was good, and he would say he would say to Bob, "Look at what just came in today, Bob. Isn't this great?" And then he'd go to the next desk, "Look at this, Bob. Isn't this great?" And the next desk, "Look at this, Bob. Isn't this great?" Oh my god! Before Bob realized that we had walked him through the U to the other the other top of the U, and he was he was out in the hallway at, at the doorway in the sky. Towards the exit. Yeah, he was done. Oh wow. He, he, he never caught on. So we, we did that until we moved to the new building. We didn't call it that. We called it the Bob problem. But we, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. Yeah, among other things. So, was, yeah. so it's a very it's a very passive aggressive way of getting, you know, getting stuff done. Yeah. It's genius. <laughs> uh, okay, and then the, the last question, as our as our clock uh, is winding down, as it uh, as always does, um, on the other end of the spectrum, Tom, yes. is there as you look back on the time time at Malibu, is there anything that you regret? Like, I wish we had done this, or we should have done this, or. I hate that we couldn't do this or uh, we would have been better off if we'd done, you know, I wish I had worked with this guy instead of turning him over to, I wish I had worked with Walter Canning instead of letting Roland work with him. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I had, I think I was part of the deal that got Walter Canning and then I immediately turned him over to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, (laughs) In well, I wish I I can't say things would have turned out differently because I know right. what the plan was. But I wish the company had been sold to DC instead of Marvel. Yeah, instead of Marvel. Mm-hmm. And it's not because well, there there are two things. One is that um, you remember Mike Giles? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. I thought Mike was a genius, and Mike mm-hmm. had this idea that. Um, as a way for Malibu to survive, that we spin off the coloring department as a separate company. Basically, the colorist would still stay in the building, yeah. and Mike would be the he would basically be the head of this new division or the new company. And then Giles would go out and he would solicit coloring work from other companies, right? Like everybody, mm-hmm. like Valiant, DC, Marvel, mm-hmm. whatever. 
And that was totally, you know, his idea. He came in and he pitched it and we were like ready to go with that. Like that would, that would have been a thing. And um, so I wish that had happened and I don't know why that happened, but I was all for it Um, because that's a way to uh, keep the colorists doing ultraverse books, but also bring in extra money. And we, we might've been able to hire more colorists. Yeah. Basically you make enough money, you bring in more colorists and then, you know, it just sort of builds on it. So I would have liked to have done that. Um, I would have liked to have cut the video game division loose much sooner. Sooner. Um, I wanted to cut it in um, early 94 and and be rid of it because it wasn't working. Like once Bob was pushed out of the company, I thought it was a good opportunity to just not do those things. Yeah. Um, Because they, they drained the company funds. Like the the way the company was was originally set up is the comic book division was solid. It made its own money. And the video game division was solid. It made its own money. But then Bob had sort of ruined the video game division through his Bobness. And the video game division was now draining money out of the comic book division. So the comic book division was supporting both halves of the company, which was not the original plan. Right. And so then that's when the comic book division started to lose the, the, all of its money. And I think the comic books could have survived and the company didn't have to be sold if we jettisoned the video game division sooner. Yeah. And so I sort of regret those things. Yeah. And I wish DC had bought the company because I know what Paul was going to do um, because Paul told me what he was going to do. Right. And um, I think the, the company would have, it's it's funny the and again i don't know how much time we have left but um malibu comics and the building were going to be the west coast dc right and so in theory dc would never have had to move to burbank mm-hmm. if yeah if paul had gotten his wish to have malibu set up as a west coast dc plus malibu comics then the people in burbank at warner might have been okay with just oh we've got a comic book division of DC it's just here in you know Agora Hills we don't have to move everybody over from New York so right. there's in you know again in theory DC might have stayed in New York City and Malibu would have prospered as a, a, a functional asset of DC Comics I don't know if that means the Ultraverse would have survived or not but more people might have kept their jobs and yeah. more stuff might have gotten done because he had he had projects for the you know the west coast dc that we're going to make us better yeah yeah and i think too we see we we, we see what um I, you know i i i often say the same thing it was like i wish of course i didn't have any say on it but i wish that that it had been dc instead of instead of marvel because i don't know that that would have guaranteed life exponentially but but i think it would have been longer and certainly different than what ended up happening with, with, with Marvel. I mean, Marvel yes. already had, you know, they, I mean, they were headed toward bankruptcy anyway. Yes. And, and so I, I think it would have been, it would have been different. So. And it's, and, and I, I say all of this fully understanding that the Marvel people that I met, I liked quite a bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still, I still like the ones that I still run into. I still hang out with and talk to. I, I, I loved working with those guys they were in a really tough spot. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it was just, you know, but the, 
the Goldman Sachs a-holes who, who had the largest investment in Malibu Comics needed to get that money out before they lost everything. And that's what happens when you take in the wrong partner. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, um, hasn't this been fun? It has it been lots of fun. Very uh, fun. So, so oh, Tom, Tom Mason has dragged everybody down again with his. No, <laughs> hey, listen, I asked the question. Venture capitalists and Goldman Sachs. And, you know, <laughs> bags well, you know, the, the thing about it is, you know, me and Roberta and Curtis, you know, we've talked about things like this before. Yeah. But uh, you're, you're one of the founders. So for me, it's like, okay, what what's. As you look back, what are some of the things that you look on and say, hey, you know, I wish this had happened or that would happen? I mean, uh, I didn't even get to ask you about Paramount, you know, because I remember I remember a really brief mm-hmm. window when we almost became Paramount Comics. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's never talked about in any of the, the stuff that people talk about the history of, you know, it's like, why won't somebody sure. mention that? I was so excited about that at the time. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, I, We'll have to go. I, 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 I will point, ask you back. I will ask you to return. Part two. At some yeah. point, at some point, ask me about the meeting that I that Chris and I had in uh, Malibu, the city of Malibu, okay. with Jerry with Jerry Calabrese and uh, Joe King. Nice. Uh, okay. I think that he's might, right on the phone. That story, that story might have to be told off the air. okay uh all right so um so yeah we'll get you to we'll get you back talk about uh stuff because i'd love to kind of get into um obviously some storytelling and and uh uh, you know how some craft craft kind of stories uh and i know that uh tom you are slated to hop on with the wednesday crew on the 30th you still good for that right the 30th Okay. Is it this, yeah. is this the same bunch? Because I have issues. No, it's a different. It's a different. <laughs> oh group. come on! Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's oh, a, I don't have issues. I'm sorry. Yeah. So just, so they're they're gonna and they'll ask you uh, completely. They may ask you some of the same questions, but they'll ask ask you uh, totally different questions. Uh, Dean Zachary will be uh, be the host that night, and you know Dean. I know Dean. We we've talked about Dean behind his back before. <laughs> 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 uh, see who else uh, might you I know? Almost, uh, I almost, I almost was in a position to hire Dean a couple of months ago. Oh, but you I know, well, you know, you, just, oh, you were almost in a position, so you didn't get into the business. So get in this, I, but yeah. I talked to Dean about it because yeah. you know, but I, but I warned him, I warned him ahead of time. Look, the the guy I'm dealing with might be flaking out, but I nah. just want to, I just want to touch base, and if if things fall through and money shows up, are you around? Right. Yeah. So, but I Excellent. get don't don't go out and buy a new car. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, don't pull a don't pull a Rob Liefeld, right? Don't go right. by it. Uh, oh, we got a, got a couple of uh, comments here. Uh, Hi, Potato. Did DC express an interest in buying the company? Yeah, you missed that part. Yeah, DC, uh, DC actually made DC actually made an offer. They, uh, oh, I never knew it got that far. Yeah, yeah. The, mergers, the mergers and acquisitions department of Warner Brothers took over the negotiations and actually made an offer on the table. Yeah. Anyways, it was so much so that Bob Wayne at DC actually thought we were going to have we had a deal in place. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I, I listen. I, I remember that part. I remember. I you, hey, we're about to be bought by DC. Yep. The the Marvel you, thing happened so fast. If you if you remember, uh, Roland, when we were at San Diego Con in '94, 
the DC people kept buzzing around the Malibu booth going, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> <and> <laughs> now, that kind of thing. Any day now, it's going to be us, you and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were, yeah. I think, I think Hank was pitching Mike Carlin and feeling him out about crossovers at that convention. I think so. Yeah. And so, because it looked, everything looked like it was going to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hyper Potato says, I miss Malibu so much. This has been a great show. And I even missed a bit when my wife got home. Okay. So yeah, you did. Uh, you you, yeah, did you did. You missed all the good parts. <laughs> James says, thanks. Uh, thank you everyone for an awesome stream. Love to hear this stuff. Uh, Hyper Potato says, hire Dean. Just go stealing from Roland. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's yeah. the thing. I don't, I you know, it's not it's not a cutthroat business anymore. I'm not like stealing, I'm not stealing anybody away to draw Spider Man or whatever. It's just right. like some it's some corporate deal that Dean would have to work into. Oops, sorry, that Dean would have to work into his own schedule. Right. So yeah, it's not it's not like oh, don't steal him from Roland. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, so I know Dean's got uh, got uh, want to pepper you with um because you know one of the things I asked you some of what you would be interested in talking about. One of the things that you said. Uh, was interesting to you would be why Marvel and DC are dead ends. And I know this is uh, incredibly uh, a topic of incredible interest to Dean because back before Dean started the cat and mouse here a few, few years ago, uh, he and I had some, some, uh, you know, heated words about things like that. And, and uh, we didn't exactly see eye, eye to eye, but we had some, some discussions about it and, and, uh, uh, so, yeah, so I think that will be uh, interesting. And I, of course, I would actually also love to continue to pepper you with like uh, creator own stuff. Uh, okay. You were always uh, a, a mentor to me when it came to rights and things like that. I'd like to, to get on and, and talk about some things like that. So oh, I have I have strong opinions. Oh, I know you do. And, and that's, that's why and that's why I'd love to get you back on and, and, uh, okay. and, and talk with you about things. So uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Curtis, uh, great to see you again, man. Great, great, great to see you. And if I, if I can just, oh yeah, let's see. You know, I just want to, you know, Malibu is to this day is still one of the fondest memories I ever have. It's almost unfortunate it's the first job I ever had because everything was downhill from there. Um, <laughs> but, but when you talk about, when we talked about how fun it was and all that, it was never like when I went to a company and there was some mission statement and this is how we treat people and this is this. It was something that was organic that came from you and, you know, the founders and everybody there. So I just always want to, want to thank you for that. Just a tremendous experience. And I, You're I, very welcome. I and you, you'll notice we're, we're also speaking to each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. I, talk, I talk to Dave, I, well, Dave and Chris and I text each other almost every day. I see, uh, I, we have a zoom on Fridays, me and Chris and Dave and our friend Paul O'Connor, where we just, we just do stuff like this. Yeah, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be at WonderCon, and I'm gonna be at San Diego again this year. Great, so, nice. Because, good. because I haven't gotten COVID yet, and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might as well. Everybody else has. So. You know, I, I don't like to be left out. I have this feeling where you know things are happening, and I'm not a part of it. So, <laughs> Tom, you didn't hear the the pandemic's over. They didn't tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, a guy in the parking lot told me that. He's, he's yeah. right after he coughed on you, right? That's right. Why are you wearing your mask? <laughs> it's over, right? Right. It's over. Yeah. So, Tom, tell people where they can find you on the interweb. Well, I'm uh, I'm on Facebook like I'm still in high school, but uh, I don't have a website or anything. So okay. uh, that's you. You really so can't. Facebook is it, huh? Facebook is it, and um, 
you really can't find me. You can see me at a convention every now and then. I have I have people text me, you know, constantly asking me these same kinds of questions. <laughs> and that's yeah, that's really it. I'm really I'm not really hermity, but I'm uh, I don't maintain a social media presence because I don't have <laughs> when I when I have a thing to hype, then all of a sudden I'll be on TikTok and Instagram and you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy loves TikTok. I have all the snappy chat. <laughs> Remember to make, make my, my silver Good night, everybody. Hey, I'm Alex Savier, and I just want to let you know make mine silver line. Thank you for listening to the Silver Line podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.